0: Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network podcast. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing interview show here on the Build Your Network podcast. I'm really excited for this one. It was kind of a unique Interview and set up because we did this probably two, three months ago, uh, but we didn't want to release it until the new year uh, because of a couple of reasons. Uh, uh, First off, it was because we wanted to help him with his book launch, but also it was that we wanted to be on YouTube. And so this year we're spending a lot of time on YouTube. So um, if you have not subscribed over there, please head over to slash YouTube to subscribe. Um, and uh, and check some of these uh, videos out that we're putting out. So this uh, this interview was actually also done on video in person, um, and uh, just had a great conversation with the guy. And uh, I, I can always tell that it's really awesome when we talk a little when we talk a little bit before the interview, but then after the interview, we just are engaged in a conversation. And then somebody legitimately has to go because they have an appointment or something like that. And that's that's exactly what happened with this guy. So his name is Jefferson Bethke or Jeff. Jeff Bethke. Uh, He is a best-selling author, multiple times best-selling author, and a spoken word artist whose YouTube video, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus, it's received over 33 million views. Um, And most of those happened in the two-week time period, by the way. Um, But it's gotten a lot, a lot, a lot of traction. And now he has a 700-and-something thousand subscriber YouTube channel um, that all is backed into the rest of his business and everything else that he does. He creates a lot of content. He has an amazing podcast. Uh, There's just so many things that we uh, had in common and... Uh, just made makes it always makes for a really good interview, and so I cannot wait for you guys to hear what we talk about. Just a couple of things: why you should be on TikTok, why why that why that is the new app to be on, in terms of social media for 2020. Um, we talk about the dangers of the hustle. And we talk about the process of writing his new book. So for, the, for you authors out there, you're definitely gonna to wanna to pay attention to what he has to say about that. Um, and then uh, the book is called To Hell with the Hustle. And so there's a lot of different things that we talk about in this interview that kind of uh, uh, you ruffle ruffle some feathers a little bit because it's so opposite of what so many other um, entrepreneurial influencers are teaching and preaching. And uh, But I really enjoy the perspective. I, I really enjoy uh, sitting down and having this conversation with him. And I agree with him on a lot of the, on a lot of the points there. And I think you'll hear that throughout uh, this episode. So can't wait for you guys to hear that really quickly though. If you are looking to start a podcast this year and you're just not sure how to get started and you are a six or seven figure business owner, six or seven figure business owner looking to start a podcast for extra revenue into your business or a credibility and authority in your niche, or to build your network with high level guests that can come on your show, uh, book more speaking gigs, whatever the reason is that you want to start your show. Um, head over to travischapel.com slash coaching. Fill out a quick application, and let's chat sometime because that is something that I do. That's something that I help people with, and I have one more spot available in uh, the coaching program that I have going on right now before we close it down for a couple of months. So if you are interested in at all, in the least, okay, there's no harm in at least just having a conversation with me about it. Um, so head over to travischapel.com slash coaching, and we will get that set up, and we'll chat real soon. Um, okay, so now enjoy my conversation with Jefferson Bethke. Jeff Bethke, what's up, my man? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. This is awesome.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time. I know that you know, you're super busy right now and trying to get the book <laughs> awesome. out and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, And we're going to get to the book here in a second. Totally. Um, to How With The Hustle. I'm really excited to talk to you about this kind of stuff. Um, we have a, kind of uh, interesting um, overlap of backgrounds, mm-hmm. uh, which we can probably get into here in a second. Um, so I'm curious to dive into that story first yeah. before, and so we can build up a little bit of context. So let's go back to, let's say, 12-year-old Jeff, like yeah. 13-year-old Jeff. Talk to me about, you know... Parents, culture, school? Did you like academics, sports? Like, talk to me about what you were like
1: Great question. I don't think I've actually ever got that exact question. I thought you were going to go with, like, take me back to the viral video. That's the question that always comes out of everyone's mouth, (laughs) you know? So I like going farther back. I think that's a great question. Um, 12, 13 year old, I'm in middle school. That's funny you picked that age. That was a very bad year or two for me. And here's why I was totally the ADHD kid. I was totally a kid that hated school. And that was right when that was starting to come to a head, right? Mm. Getting kicked out, getting in fights, getting expelled, you name it. I had to go to the what are those alternative schools? i think they're called okay had to go to one of those um were, so, were you
0: raised religious or a christian home or
1: yeah yeah okay. certainly uh, yeah in certain some level i was raised by a single mom though with a single mom uh at a certainly a level of basically we are just at that line of poverty where if it was like one cent shorter we'd been homeless so basically everyone okay. uh, yeah subsidized housing section 8 housing food stamps you know medicaid medicare all that you just you name it but single mom uh who is also uh um, handicapped from the knee down. So then there was the disability. So there was t- pretty t- tough upbringing in that sense. Mm. Um, but it's funny, too, though, because I talk about this, too. Whenever, you, whenever you're raised in, you just think it's normal. Right. So totally. uh, so now looking yeah. back, I maybe would have a different narrative on that. But then I was like, it just felt like that is what it is, especially in that context where I'm growing up in an urban context where uh, in those neighborhoods, everyone else looked the same. Mm. You know, they, were, they were poor, too. They didn't have a dad around, too. So right. it's like... There was no that, contrast to compare it to. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So I thought that was normal. But yeah, so 12 or 13-year-old Jeff, I'd have been in that. I, I loved... Uh, I'm a thinker, I'm a tinkerer, I do love learning, and I always have loved learning. I actually was ahead, I skipped ahead of grade, uh, even from elementary, and so I was always really young for my age, especially because my birthday's in June, so I was always two years younger than everyone. But yeah, the middle school is where that started to kind of collide with what I would call almost the uh, industrial revolution education system of just like butts in the chair, listen for eight hours. Yeah. That just was kind of around that so time So liked learning, but not necessarily education. Totally. And I can go on a whole other rant on that, too, of like, the Western <laughs> yeah. public education system has its benefits. Yeah. But even the way I mentioned the Industrial Revolution, which I talk about in the book, um, there's huge ramifications when 100 or so years ago we basically said, for the efficiency – And for the sake of efficiency, we're going to compartmentalize everything, right? We're going to disintegrate everything. Now, rather than a craftsman building a shoe, you know, over a long period of time, or a car, or whatever it is, you know, I talk about the Ford and the the Model T and the assembly line, now it's one person gets one thing, you just kind of wrench it for 8,000 times. Mm -hmm. And that had huge ramifications all the way down to education. Education is now a factory, right? It's no longer holistic education. Yeah. It's no longer mind, body, and soul. It's no longer tactile, but for the sake of efficiency because, and fair reason, like we have millions of children we need to educate. Mm-hmm. So the industrial revolution is going to allow us to scale. That's a fun word that we like to yeah, use. Right. Um, but I just say there's serious ramifications to that, and that's kind of totally in the underbelly of the book too, but education is one I didn't mention in there that is affected. Yeah, did you, did you feel like it kind of failed you as a student for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, Sir Ken Robinson's a famous, he's, if, <laughs> that's his actual name. You have to say, sir. Um, it is cause it's like some regal title he has, but he's one of the most famous Ted talks of all time. I think he's up there in the 40, 50 million range. Uh, he has, so I would just suggest people go watch him. He's a brilliant scholar, done some brilliant research on this of uh, boys specifically, like the system is not set up for us. Mm-hmm. It's almost built for us to fail. It's built for us to kind of go up against, you know, these things. And, um, it kills creativity, and just like the industrial revolution, it's trying to funnel you down the 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 belt, the assembly yeah. line, right? Yeah. And because of that, the it's manufacturing a to... end product. Exactly, yeah. It's has kind of stamping us all identically, hmm. which at some level again is fine. Um, but he has this crazy story he tells in that TED talk where he talks about uh, this this study that they did in education somewhere, where. Um, they gave uh, paper clips mm-hmm. to kindergartners and then they gave paper clip to, I think, I don't know, like adult people maybe in the workforce. And they basically and, and they, the experiment was think of, you need to write down all of the possible uses of this paper clip, mm-hmm. right? All of the possible uses. And no, the sky's the limit. There's no restrictions. There's no, let's just be creative as you want. What can this paper clip be used for? And even in fake ways, imagination, whatever. And on average, the adults thought of two. And on average, I think the kindergartners thought of like 117, hmm. right? And he yeah. just kind of uses that as an example of like, we so funnel hmm. ourselves to just this is how it needs to be. Um, and so, yeah, so it definitely failed me.
0: <laughs> so with that in mind, what what were you planning on doing then? Like, so you're, yeah.
1: you know, 12, 13, all this is going on. You
0: know, when you sat with your career counselor, if you yeah, had one right, was like, what, like you yeah.
1: know, what are you going to do? I don't think I would have asked those questions or been at that place probably till later in high school. But yeah, once I did, um, like I said, I did love learning though, and I did mm-hmm. love school. I was really into like law, uh, politics, government. And so that was actually a trajectory that I set myself on pretty early that mm-hmm. actually stayed until the vid- video went viral and stuff like that later in college where I basically went to school in high school, started to realize, and then went to college for, uh, I wanted to be a teacher or like a lawyer of some sort. So okay. yeah, I think I started with pre-law or, or something like that. But then I re- once they tell you how much more school you have to go to, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm good. you know. <laughs> so then I think I transferred that to uh, teaching, like social studies and government. And I was going to get a teaching certificate and get a master's and all that. So
0: yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Okay. And then during all of this is when just happened upon this video that yeah. you put out and
1: Yes, hundred percent accidental, hundred percent random. Graduated college, got my bachelor's. I was gonna take a year off before going and getting my master's in Oregon. You have to get you basically the way it works where I went to college is you have to um, uh, get your bachelor's in whatever degree you want, and then you just go back for a master's of like teaching certification to go teach. Mm. So I think my master's—I mean, I think my bachelor's was in politics and government. I was going to take a year off to just take a break, make some money, um, and then go back and get my master's. And uh, that year, yeah, I just randomly put up a YouTube video mm. uh, for fun, just creatively, like. In the same way that, I, you know, millennials make videos the way we breathe. It's just like, yeah, that's what we do, you know. <laughs> right, right. And so just made a video, put it up online, and thought our mom, me was my buddy. Who, I was 22 at the time. He was 19. Um, we just did it for fun on a weekend. I remember it was like New Year's Eve. Put it up 10 days later on YouTube. Just thought our moms and our friends would see it. And overnight, I think it was like a half million views. And then two days, it was like a couple million views. And then just went insane for about yeah, two weeks. It's a good life of its own at that mm-hmm.
0: point. Um, when, when you were creating all of this, obviously with teaching in mind, law school, and all the different things you had going on, you obviously had some sort of attachment or something to... Uh, spirituality or Christianity, religion, or you wouldn't have created the video yeah, to begin with, right? Totally. So um, yeah, was that a... instilled in you, like, from growing up, or did you, like, take an affinity toward it when you went into college? Totally. Or...
1: Yeah, so my, my story there is I was raised with, like I said, raised with a single mom, and I would say raised in ch- a church context, okay. meaning, like, I knew the culture, knew the songs, that was the language I spoke. Um, like
0: every Sunday type of a church probably, context? yeah, yeah, or, yeah, okay. and yeah.
1: There would be some transitions there and stuff like that, of course, but yeah, pre- I, I, you know, going to Sunday school, going to midweek stuff, if there is kind of some, you know, Bible people listening, you know, Awanas and all that stuff. You know, it's like the Christian Boy Scouts, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I was into all that Um, and grew up in that context. But I didn't, I would say it didn't feel real to me though. It didn't feel like it had kind of teeth on my life. Um, And so then that's when I went into. And then probably around college, probably freshman year of college, I was uh, wanting to play baseball. So I was playing baseball at a university. I was uh, dating kind of my first serious girlfriend that I was going to marry her and all these different things. And then within a course of about two or three weeks, I got kicked off the baseball team, Uh, First serious girlfriend broke up with me, and I got put on academic probation. So if I got one more bad semester, they'd kick me out. And that was in, like, two weeks. So it was not my best 14 days, (laughs) right? Uh, And it was through that, really, because I think, you know, I'm trying to remember who, what philosopher or something's kind of made this, like, there's only kind of two ways of, like, you either... You know, something is just so alluring, you wake up to it or basically like someone, some, something has to get your attention. And I was that person, like something had to get my attention. Yeah. And those two weeks really got my attention to me. See, man, I am not, me as the king of my own life, me in the driver's seat of my own life, it does not end well. Yeah. Um, and that's where it ended. That's where like this is the logical conclusion of basically me just kind of doing what I want, when I want, how I want. And so it was through that kind of problem that I started to kind of tinker and think about, man, what's going on here? What's the real problem? What's the what's the solution? And I remember I'm a big reader, so I remember this is funny. I I uh, I was going to a Christian university. What's funny is because I didn't care about that. I was going there for baseball. But I went to okay. the I went to the library. In, in your time, this is in Oregon. Your time now? So I was in San Diego my freshman year, okay. and then I finished up at a university in Oregon. Okay. So I go to the library, and I'm just like, hey, how many books can I check out? And I think she said, like, 20 at a time or something. So I just went and got, like, 20 books that seemed really interesting that would maybe help me with my life. I don't remember reading them all, but I was just like, I'm trying, you know. Um, And so, yeah, it was through that journey, certainly, that uh, I would say at some level I returned to some of the really beautiful things that – um, were around when I was a child, but then maybe I just wasn't grateful for, mm. wasn't appreciative of. And then for me, the big thing is, you know, the Christian narrative is it, it, where it gets really scandalous and unique, I think is this this, this argument uh, or this this um truth of grace, right? This, that's a huge word in the Christian tradition. But this concept that this God that we find in Jesus, according to the Christian tradition, says, I know all that you are. I see all your frailties and your failures. You don't need to be successful for me to love you. In fact, I see all that, and I love you for that, and I love you first. And that, that meaning like that he goes first, he's the initiator, and that he actually kind of puts that on us. That's the thing that then awakens us to actually live into who we're truly meant to be, rather than trying to earn his love or something like that. And so, which then fast forward that dichotomy that, I, that really changed my life freshman year became kind of the seeds of the video three or four years ago, or, or three to four years later. I mean,
0: was there anything that you remember that specifically, like this is a, a hot word right now, mm-hmm. uh, triggered you <laughs> to be like, <laughs> you know awkward. what, screw this? Yeah. Like, I need to make a video about this because this stuff is just yeah. Irritating so me. the
1: context of that video was so then freshman. Year really would say I had a transformational experience with Jesus. Um, Started to kind of see, man, I really think that because here's the truth of the matter we all worship something, we all follow something, we all give allegiance to something. I just find it funny that once we start using religious language, we just get, oh no, that's you know, and it's like, no, no, people worship alcohol, people worship their job, people worship their girlfriend, you know, we don't, and now we don't use those words, but basically, is it the center of your life to the thing that's giving you your identity, your worth, and your all that? Yes, and I don't think those things can hold that weight. So then, I think Jesus is the only one that can because we're actually created in his image. And that's what that word means. It's like when you're creating someone's image, you're meant to reflect that. So, um, yeah. So then that transformation started to become real in my life. And then I transferred to a school in Oregon, uh, to just kind of get a fresh start.
0: So a Christian university. That one wasn't,
1: okay. no, that one was a totally progress. What you'd think of, of Oregon university, progressive liberal. And I loved it by the way, I actually liked the university better. Had have great friends from there. Um, But, yeah, so then I was there. So, wait, wait,
0: you can have friends that don't agree with you. Right. Isn't that amazing?
1: (laughs) Right. It's sad. sad. I mean, I thought that was just like a rule of the world, but apparently in 2019 it's not. Yeah. yeah. And I still, yeah, love all my buddies from there. And certainly none, I don't think even one of them shared my faith. But um, went there. And what happened is I was starting to get, I I wanted because we all tell people what we're passionate about, whether it's work, again, marriage, dating, whatever. And I was starting to be passionate about, man, life transformation at some level. And so I'd mm. start to talk to people about it. And I noticed that whenever I would bring up the name Jesus or Christian tradition, whatever, anything of that nature, what they would say back to me, I was like, oh, that's not what I'm talking about. You mm. know what I mean? Kind of like crossing. There's a disconnect. Yeah, crossing the wires. And so then literally that's where the video came from. I just was like, what is the thing that can get through there to like be like, oh, I don't mean that. I mean this. I don't mean that. I don't mean religion. I mean, Jesus. right. And that's literally how it came Is I was just like, oh, I'll write a fun poem for the college. And. Uh, do it at an open mic. Yeah. So I didn't even write that video or that poem for YouTube. That was literally a thing for my school at an open mic that I just performed. Oh, really? So yeah. That, okay. And then it just was like sitting in, the, in a drawer somewhere and my buddy was like, let's make a video. So that was like almost like second after the fact, second mm. thought. And was this like the first video you ever made? Second, I think. Yeah. Okay. Isn't that funny? Yeah. We would make some random videos, but yeah. Yeah. What, what,
0: kind, of, um, what kind of effects did that have on your like YouTube video creation? Going mm. forward, once it went viral, yeah, like meaning like you started, you started here, yes. yeah, you know, like most yeah. people are starting here and they get you know a hundred views, totally. two hundred views, and then after they've created three hundred and forty yeah, videos, it's like, pop. oh, we got a
1: viral one, you know, totally. What I mean? So how did that affect? They your each creation? have their own complications, right? Yeah, um, and I think the complication you can have when you peak early or have success early, um, hopefully I do not peak early, but you know, what I mean? but, you <laughs> yeah, know, no, I get, I get is that there um, is that there's a level of pressure there that you don't have the other way? Mm. Um, I think there's also a level of, you know, call it the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours or something like that. There's a level there too of sometimes, I think there's actually something really holy and beautiful and awesome about the 300th video going viral, because I think there's a bet, I think it's more natural To put your ten thousand hours in in obscurity, Mm, right, and then naturally you're very good at your craft once you start getting noticed. And
0: and not even natural, I would say it's more duplicatable, yes, right, like because everybody, everybody's trying to do what you did with that video, yeah. Like everybody's always just trying. They put out one video every three months because they they work so hard on like trying to make this one go viral, and it's like, well, if you would just put out one a week, two a week, and just constantly be working on that craft,
1: and that's even how that a couple years from now that. Thanks exactly, work. and even yeah. like what's funny too is like even how mine went viral. Like that's not repeatable. It was I I, it, I wasn't trying to have some formula. I wasn't trying to produce it all really hard. Right. It was just an accident. It was fun. It was what we do. The nature what, of virality. Exactly, yeah. and so I think yeah, when you try to pin that down, that gets really dangerous because then you start chasing something that you'll never catch. Right. And I love what you said. I totally agree that like consistency and actually getting better at your craft sets you up to for the long haul. That's more of the game that we're playing. We're playing a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And I think that's huge. Was that something that you realized
0: right away? way or did you go like, we gotta make another
1: video? Yeah, probably there was like one or two more videos I made after that where I felt out, I did it out of pressure, yeah. you know what I mean? Which, and they did great, you know, because uh, there was still like that momentum on it. Totally. But then I was just like, this isn't life-giving. This isn't like, I don't wanna just kind of do what people, and what's funny is this is, a, and like, and I haven't shared this a ton, but if you look at the YouTube channel, uh, you can see a little bit of a downward trajectory, but primarily, here's why, because I, I stopped doing spoken word, so spoken word, clearly on my YouTube channel, if I, if I make it rhyme, it gets a lot of views, hmm. but I started to realize I don't want to do this. Hmm. Right. Like gotcha. I just got forced into it because one video went viral. And so a couple of videos in, I, I, I kept writing spoken words. Oh, that's I, one went viral. Let's do another one. Let's do another one. And they did great millions of views again. But then I think just a, within the end of that year, I started to go, man, I don't I don't love doing this. I love I love talking to people. I love so then I so then I kind of shifted the YouTube channel to more of like whether you call it a talk show format, maybe funny little teaching videos, serious teaching videos, answering people's questions because that's what I wanted to do. Hmm. And I clearly knew back then and see now that yeah, like then it I didn't get as many views. Yeah. So I think that's a whole lesson to people too is we sometimes chase the most. We sometimes do what we think. We're, we're only doing what we think will have the best ROI, hmm. when it's like, do what you actually love. And sometimes yeah. the, the numbers will go down, sometimes they'll go up, um, but that's really what it's about anyways. You know? yeah, like
0: Does it feed your soul? Exactly. Like are, exactly. are you, are you tied to ratings or are you tied to yeah. like, which is one of the reasons to create content and work for yourself anyway, <laughs> yes. is to do the things that you want. Yes, and, and you get stuck the doing the things that you don't want because other people want them. Exactly. So what's the balance then between like listening to your audience yes. and knowing what your audience wants and creating what they want for them and serving them And also doing what you want to do.
1: That's a really good question because there's a couple different layers there. I think if you go too far, if you go too far on one, if you go too far on listening to your audience, then you sometimes begin to pander. Mm. Meaning you're kind of just literally you're not you're no longer prophetic or original or creative because you're just kind of saying I'm going to give you the product you want. Yeah. Um, And if you're too far. On the other one, then you're not paying attention to what your audience wants and you're kind of like aloof. Yeah. So I think it's somewhere in the middle, right? I think you need to be really, it does, and that's part of the craft too, is learning a really robust framework mm. on how am I going to receive everyone's feedback and really hold it, but also know that like I am the driver of hopefully what will connect and what I want to do and what's creative and what fills me up. Like you said, yeah. what's life-giving. And you have to be able to hold those at the same time. So because I'm, I'm very much a believer of like read every comment, what do they say you want, what works. Right. You know, not, and here's the thing. Not what works because then you'll get more views. What works is basically like people loved it. Like it's real people. Do you know what right, I mean? Like, right. So it's not like, oh, it's just a business part of it. It's like, no, if it worked or it got a lot of views, then you, then ask yourself, what was it about that that people res- – it's real people. What yeah. did they resonate with? And can I maybe do something else in that space? And I think that's huge.
0: Yeah, just always testing. Exactly. Receiving feedback, implementing it, yes. and then retesting totally. it. Totally. And then just doing more of what works, doing less of what doesn't yes, work.
1: Yes, yes. And even like books, even like this book was completely born out of, and that's I think one of my favorite ones I've written so far, where I felt like I was answering the actual problem people were telling me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes we write books that just like, oh, I don't know, it comes out, I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll like it. Right. It's like, hopefully, a book should be meeting a need mm. and solving a problem for people they've already told you that you have. And this one totally is that.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about the transition that you made from being, like, a YouTuber Mm -hmm. to being, like, author, podcaster, just all-around content creator, almost influencer authority, I guess I would say. Um, Talk to me about that transition. Yeah,
1: I think one question, especially anyone on the Internet has to ask, is what is your real, like… What is the sweet spot for you? Meaning, like, is it that you... Because I think sometimes we pigeonhole whether you want to use words like callings or job or vocation. When I like to go a little bit later, like, yes, I was a YouTube, YouTuber in vocation first, but what I realized is that wasn't, like, my passion or my calling. What I would put a little bit more heavier language or spiritual language on that, like calling and stuff, would be I like to... Tell people things. Mm. I like to think about ideas. I like to distill ideas. I like having conversation. I like kind of tweaking and messing around with like what people are thinking, right? And so then, if that's more the center, then then the, the how it looks on the second layer can be anything, mm. right? And so I think I realized that early, and then realized that it doesn't. If this is this, YouTube's not the only place for that, right? A book can be a place for that for ideas. Um, a podcast can be a place for that. Um, speaking, you know, live events. So that that for me is why we're pretty malleable now. Yeah. Like we do like seven or eight different things, own some businesses and online stuff and this, and then YouTube and podcasts and live events and books. And, and that's why, because I realized like, no, I just want to do this and I'm not going to let this change, but I'm going to let it kind of flow out in different ways. So on that, going back
0: a little bit in the story here, uh, when when you first had the viral video, you started yeah. creating some more videos. Uh-huh. At what point along that journey did you start thinking like, oh, this is actually what I'm going to be doing full-time. Like this is a real business. Like, yeah. I don't need to you know do the degree, the school totally. thing this is going to be a full-time business. And and did you know anything about business? Like, yeah, were you just no. kind of failing your way through yes.
1: it? Yes. Uh, I'd probably say day one is when I realized that. Of like, okay. oh yeah, this, is, this has some legs, this has some potential. I don't know if I would have been secure in it on day one. I think yeah. I would have seen the possibility on day one. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, day one, But then probably about a year in, I would say of like, okay, this is no longer, this is secure enough. This isn't really, I gave it a shot and it is still working and it's actually going up, right? Mm. In diversification, all these different things. So I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, no business experience, no business degree, no nothing. What I suggest people do, and this is what I did that really helped, is like you need to go find, like rally your community for who can help. I remember when the video went viral you know, within a week or two, I was in you know boardrooms or living rooms or anything with just like super amazing like men and women who are in my life who I could kind of tap into. Right? Mm. Hey, 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 what what should I do with this? What should I? Uh, hey, you know, I had one guy literally just send me all his contracts. because He does very similar stuff. He's in his like forties, but he speaks, he writes, he. And he just says, hey, I think this will be helpful. You know, take out my name, put your name in. You know what I mean? Like stuff mm. like that. So yeah. kind of like leaning on that, I think is really really important. And then yeah, I think there's I think there's there was a funny moment I remember where. You know, it's not like this anymore in 2019, but certainly I'm entered into this space as a little bit more of the early, influ- I don't like the word influencer, but whatever you want to call it, early internet person to the point where when I was coming on the scene 2011, 2012, that was still the like people would always give you that side eye of like, oh, get a real job. You know what I mean, that kind of like, now <laughs> yeah, people know it's right. a real job. But like back then it was a little bit of like, oh, I don't know if that's how that's gonna go for you. Yeah. And even my mom, literally, I love my mom, and she was doing it like out of support. You know how moms are just trying to make, protect you? Totally, yeah. she, So, but here's the funny story though. My mom works for the government, right? Um, and uh, I remember she was always saying like, you know, just I just wanna make sure you're okay and safe and secure and it all kind of works good and I don't want you to, just, to fall out from underneath you. And then like within, I think, that first year, that was when the government got shut down. And Mm -hmm. so she literally just instantly, within 24 hours of of Congress saying something, didn't have a paycheck for a week. You know what I mean? And I just am like, that's never happened to me. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) in seven years, I'm good, you know? Um, And then there's been two government shutdowns since then, which is really funny. So I just think like, I think we need to uh, change our definitions because what do we think is more secure than a job for the government, Right. right? Right. Nothing, nothing's more secure than that, at least in our framework, but yet, Mm. It's still not still not not. right. And then over here, what do we think is more volatile? What do we think is less secure? Mm. Internet, you know, marketing things that kind of go crazy, but yet we've been fine, right? So I think that's just an interesting conversation to have.
0: Yeah, it's just a false sense of security. Yes, neither one of them are secure. Ultimately, like nothing. And
1: that's what people. I, I think sometimes always people say that too with like nine to five jobs, and I'm like, you do know you can get fired, right? Like at any like, time for yeah, any, any reason exactly like at their
0: discretion yes so <laughs> even if you're a top level, performer you know at some
1: level there's there's yeah. pr- different securities in both right right and I just think that's just a part that I think like uh, it's not even like one's better than the other just no one's secure yeah. right it's every single day we have to have our, our hands open trusting leaning forward going into the day um, enjoying our work so yeah totally.
0: yeah so. Um, Now coming into the world of writing books, Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about this one really quickly here. So To Hell With the Hustle, the past few books you've written have all been like spirituality, Mm -hmm. Christianity based, right? Yeah. So talk to me about, you said this one came out of like people asking you about this. Um, so, and we kind of joked at the beginning that you're currently in the hustle trying yeah, to right. sell the book right. that's up, like against hustle. Deepest diary. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh to hell with the hustle is definitely something that I can get on board with. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people, especially in my space in the entrepreneurial yes. um, type space, there's yes. a lot of people preaching hustle all the time. Yeah. I don't necessarily like have a problem with working hard because yes. like, that's obviously part of the process. 100%. Um, but I think that having a self awareness about what life really is about mm-hmm. is uh, is super important. So, um, can you kind of talk to me about like the origin of this book? And yeah. you know, let's give me just one or two key principles that you
1: hope people will take away from it. Totally. Well, I mean, I think. It, it basically it started from the, the, not only me feeling it in my own life but then like what you were saying there's a there's like a trend out there that's starting to just get kind of annoying you know totally. what I mean like it's not like and you nailed it like working hard is amazing yeah. working hard is necessary uh, we need to work am, with ambition we need to work uh, you know loving other people and doing it well and with ethics and all that stuff and integrity mm-hmm. but yeah there's this like extra layer that's like I, I kind of uh, hu- uh, hustle's a good kind of uh, catch all but also another one that I think it was like the life hack culture mm-hmm. you know you just like we're so obsessed with like life hacking our life right mm-hmm. just like, the shortcut and do this and you'll do this and make sure you have the MCT oil and the bulletproof coffee and that. And, and I take that, by the way, and it gives me brain energy. I love it. Yeah. But like, at what point is enough enough? Meaning like how many, like my, my question we have to ask is, have we ever come back around to look at the data? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, like, okay, we, we have every little life hack that we've almost had in human, like like someone from 1500 would just be like blown away at how many little things we can do to our life. Right. And so I just kind of say like, are we... Have we reached, like, should we, we should have reached perfection by now, basically. Yeah. If there's so many life hacks, we should have kind of reached the logical conclusion. But we haven't, right. which kind of shows you it's a little false bill of goods, you mm-hmm. know, that at some level mm-hmm. we're chasing something that can't be grabbed, can't be achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is it there? And so there's that. And then, yeah, the book really gets at the spirit of, like, um, man, I think it was Derek Thompson who in The Atlantic, he has just a brilliant, brilliant article called The Religious Religion of Workism. And he's, you know, non-Christ, like he's a non-religious person. He's just kind of using this language of like we've almost made work a religion, yeah. right? And he, and he really gets into some crazy stats and data in there of like how this is not how it's ever been um, and what it's doing to us. And he has this cool phrase in there where he goes, you know, for all of human history, work was always about making things. But for the last 40 or so years, work is now about making us. Mm -hmm. And what he says is we are in a very unique culture where we now, the only culture in all of human history where work is now no longer about material production, but it's about identity production. It's about literally, we don't even care about our job as much. We care about what the job does for us, like Mm -hmm. in our soul, who it's making us, who it's forming us into be, Because we have some idealized version that we're trying to push towards.
0: And And who we... Who we, who we like, want to be perceived as yes. by other people. Yes,
1: and it's, so then that, that is, and that's identity. It's, yeah. it's who am I? Yeah. We're trying to answer the question, who am I through work? And I just think that's a very, very, very bad thing to do. But it's dangerous. It right? is really dangerous, and too much pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, work is when it's about making things. That's great. Make things. Honor those things. Honor that job. Be the best you can at that job. But when it's about making us, then that becomes corrosive and toxic on your soul.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, Simon Sinek recently wrote a book. Love him, by the way. Infinite Game. He talks about that, how how we're playing this. We're playing this game of life like it's a like it's a finite game. Yes. Like our, our career is a finite thing. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a finite game. There, there is no winner or loser, clear yeah. rules that are yeah. done. And, and that's the same thing that you were just talking about yeah. is that we're, we're trying to, we're trying to get other people to perceive us to be a certain way mm. based on what we think is going to elevate our status in yes. their eyes when there's no like specified rules for what matters, yes. right? Because some people might be like, oh, your salary matters. Other yes. people might be like, oh, your job title matters. Mm-hmm. Oh, your impact matters. So we're like, we're trying to build this life that impresses all these other people without even having a tool yeah, to measure, measure the actual yeah, success totally. like we, we don't know what that means we're just like totally. all competing in this thing we've all picked out our own values that we perceive to be important yes. and then that's what we try to portray to other people so if you view that like Making money is important. Yes. Then you're going to cast that on me, and because yeah. I don't make as much money as you do, it, the then you're just going to be like, "Well, you're down here, I'm up here." Yes. right? But I might look at you and be like, "Well, I do. I do more charity work, and, yeah, and that's exactly. what matters to me." You totally. know, and and you're all you care about is money. So I'm mm-hmm. going to elevate my status above you because I'm a better person than you are. Right? Totally. So we all have like these fake things yeah, that metrics we measure life by that yeah. really
1: nobody's ever agreed on
0: <laughs> totally <laughs> you know?
1: totally and i and i love simon sinek by the way he's one of my favorite i love him as a thought leader some of the stuff he's saying it was actually a geek out moment he's in his new books in target and they put me right next to his in uh, target nice. and i'm just like yes i get to be <laughs> yeah. next to him I'm like by his associate <laughs> <right>? yeah <laughs> yeah and hopefully by mine um <laughs> but uh yeah i totally agree man and i think and, and, and Jesus even kind of gets at this a little bit. You know, 2,000 years ago, you have this gospel text of, uh, of of different pressure groups. You have different religious groups. You have different secular people coming at him with different needs and pressures. exactly what you said. Like, everyone has different metrics. Mm-hmm. And they're all putting this on Jesus, right, which is fascinating when you open up the gospels. And then clearly, there's even a couple stories where that pressure starts to collide. And then Jesus says, no, no, there is a metric. There is one. It's not all the ones you're saying. It's not all of this. It's not all that. And then he basically says, he says, you can sum up the entire law in this. And it's that you will love God and love neighbor. And I'm like, man, that is a good metric, right? Mm -hmm. To love, to love God, the person in whose image you are made in, but then also to love each other because when you're loving each other, then you're not getting into those false sense of metrics like you said, where I make this, you don't. I do this, you don't. Um, and I think that's just fascinating that in its own way, 2,000 years ago, that was the same problem, totally. just in a re, really recapitulated way. And I love how he answers. This. "No, no it can, it, There is rules, there is things, but it can be summed up in one center, and that's love other people, right? And then yeah. love God and as, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. So I think that's huge.
0: Yes. What, what are a couple other things that you talked about in the book?
1: So the book, yeah. So first couple chapters, I would almost call the diagnosis, the problem. Uh, you know, there's already been some people mes- messaging me and uh, laughing that like it's rated, you know. Uh, I don't know how to say it, like it's like, you know, it's kind of, it's, when you go to the dentist, it's painful to get the cavity part, and they're always like, oh, that's a little too painful in the first chapters, but hopefully it's the solution's the second half. Right. And, because um, we have to, you have to truly know the problem, by the way, to know how to solve it. So I think that's why I'm really uh, trying to put some teeth on those first couple chapters, and I go all the way into, like, Industrial Revolution, I go back to the invention of the light bulb, I go back to our invention of time, and all of these things actually are, significantly putting us in our moment right now mm-hmm. that we don't realize because we're 200 years past it. And when you wake up and you're, you know, and you're an adult, you're like, Oh, this just is what it is. But it hasn't always been that way. What are the ramifications of that? So the devil and that, but then the whole rest of the book is kind of a solution. Every single chapter, I think the last five or six is what I try to argue for, uh, five or six practices. I call them that if you can institute those, they're, they're really, really good acts of resistance against the problem. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. So like, uh, things like silence, thing like honoring a true Sabbath, like a true day of rest, like turn off your phone, stop working. Um, uh, you know, which culturally, religiously or not, America used to do. Fifty years ago, you try to go find something open on Sunday, good luck, mm, right? Yeah. Whether you're a Christian or not, that's just, the, we, we understood that you need to shut down. Right. Um, and so, yeah, rest, Sabbath, I even tell there's a whole chapter on obscurity on there, like, if you, especially with people with platforms, you know, like us and stuff like that, we need to be making a concerted effort to, like, hide sometimes. Mm. And that's a weird way to put it, but we do. Like, we do not need to be out in front. We do not always need to be seen. We do not always need to be known, because that does something to our soul, where you become this cropped, edited version of yourself that's not actually a true, robust human image bearer that you are. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, so yeah, that's
0: so. what I've been in that position before, where like you're almost selecting mm-hmm. daily activities based on like what's going to look best on your Instagram story Totally. Or whatever. Yes. You know, like, what, what do my followers want? Like, yes. How and about that, what do I want to do today? Exactly. <laughs> and I think
1: that's a really good point because. There's a tension there too because I think it's totally fine and fair to share our days, to say where we went to for fun and all yeah, that stuff. Totally. But here, that is the, the corrosive one is when you start actually crafting your days backwards, mm. meaning, I, meaning what do I want to share? Then I'm going to go do that. That's different than I went and did something and I'm going to share it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and I think there's actually levels of both of those where sometimes just turn your phone off, phone off anyways, don't share. But the other one you said is even worse of like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, but we don't realize we do it because the more you do it, you start to do it more. Right. right? You start right. to literally craft activities based on how Instagrammable they are, and that's just a weird place to get at. Yeah, just a self perpetuating yeah. mm-hmm. cycle. That- yeah, it just drains your soul. So totally. You, know,
0: you don't like you said you
1: don't realize it until yes. like
0: a few months later you wake up and yeah. you realize you're
1: not doing. Anything. Well, my, well, and here's what it does: it dehumanizes and also completely devalues the entire experience in a way where it becomes more commodified. So we live in Maui, <clears throat> Hawaii, and I see this all the time, and I crack up, but it's also really sad. Where like literally, it's kind of that classic you know Instagram husband, Instagram wife thing. Where like we'll be walking. I see it almost every single day, and then people just want that classic Maui picture, oh, yeah. right? Just, like, they're on the beach. And, and literally, I've seen so many times where, like, this girl's in her bathing suit or whatever, and you can tell they just got to the beach. She gives the phone to the husband. She goes and walks to the edge of the beach and kind of does a pose or a strike yeah. or whatever, takes the picture, and then they leave. And then they
0: bounce. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm literally like, and I'm not even, I'm not even, I've probably seen that over a hundred times yeah. where the end, so, and then now think about all the way through. Okay, so then you know, you're her friend and you get on Instagram a couple days later and you see this picture, it looks like they had an amazing time on the beach in Maui. Right. No, they didn't. Right. They, did, they literally didn't even spend five seconds on the beach. Yeah. They didn't swim, they didn't talk, they didn't hang out. Yeah. They, it was literally a manufactured moment. And it's just so weird, right? Like to like see the picture, but then also see how that picture was got, you know? Right. And so, yeah, but we do that more than we think.
0: Yeah, what do you think that does for uh, culture in terms of, like, I, I, we, we just had our first uh, kid. Yeah. I mean, he's about six months old now. Congrats. Yeah, thank What's you. What's his name? That. Cameron. Cameron, cool. Yeah, so a lot of this stuff is now in my mind. 100%. And it was not before. Yes. Um, so what, what do you think that does for culture in terms of kids' self-esteem? Like mm. Not necessarily like I'm like I'm a grown adult, totally. right? So we can handle When Instagram more. came out, yeah. I was I think a freshman in college. Totally, you know. So like by the time it was there, it, my feelings weren't as yeah, attached to it. it's gonna it. be native and,
1: to them, natural to them. Yeah,
0: as a kid, like if you grow up with that oh, and yeah. you're seeing that kind of stuff, you know, well they they're here. You're you're seeing everybody's highlight reel yes. and not seeing any of their failures, and you're comparing your failures to their totally own, like mountaintops. Totally.
1: What does that do? Uh, there's so many different ways I, I like to answer that one. I think one, what I would say is, yeah, what it first does is it just commodifies all of our experiences that shouldn't be, like human experiences can't be measured or distilled in a laboratory, but we're kind of doing a pseudo version of that when we do this. It's like we want to p- trans- make it transactional, make it commodified. So that's the first thing I would say. Second thing is, yeah, I'm gonna get this stat wrong because I just read it, but it was something to the effect of like, I just read it the other day, where it's like (laughs) your anxiety and your depression like dissipates by like 50% in people that they measured turning their phone off for a week or something like that. Mm -hmm. They basically just said get away from your phone and see if that actually changes your mental health, and lo and behold, it changes your mental health, right? It's literally, and mental health is serious and is internal, and there's ones that's way more chronic and way more serious, so it sometimes can't be solved by turning off your phone. But there's a lot on like like, this low grade level that I think 100% can.
0: It has to be, right? Yes. I mean, the US is the most culturally advanced country, arguably, in the world, right? But we're also the leader in mental health. Yes, illnesses. exactly. Like we are the leader in anxiety, depression. Exactly. Humanism, all exactly. Those things. It's because we as humans like look for problems. Totally. We have to have problems. Totally. So when our problem is no longer where am I going to get my next meal? Yes. Then we start manufacturing all these other problems. hundred Like I posted this picture. Yes. And I only got 12 likes and last yeah. week I we got almost, 45.
1: Yeah. We almost like have, it's exactly right. We have too much time on our hands to now make problems out of things that are kind of like such ridiculous problems right. instead right? of driving we're in the back
0: of an Uber yes right? like, exactly instead of
1: driving to get something to eat exactly you get it delivered exactly product, right? yeah one thing yeah. I would say that is and, but then back to your point about uh, your son but then also just coming up in the next generation of social media and like lo- comparing failures to your best there's a couple analogies that help me or one that specifically and I think one thing is we need to do is like we need to not get upset at the people that do share the highlight reel because mm-hmm. that's like a normal part of life right mm-hmm. I think sometimes we go one way or the other we just get like oh you're only sharing your highlights because there's a weird kickback in culture that's the opposite right now so we were like oh you only share your highlights you only share the good stuff and it's like well i'm not going to show myself like barfing at the in the toilet but there's a weird culture right now that's trying to push that back that's sort totally right. like and it's like totally the be vulnerable be transparent you know like right. just say everything that's wrong with your marriage and your life it's like no don't take that to the internet that doesn't belong there yeah right and so i think that's just as wrong and i mm. so i think there's these two sides right now of like when you craft and manufacture it that's wrong when you're um but then when you're also saying, like, you know, be vulnerable, be vulnerable, be vulnerable online, I think that's wrong, too, right? Because there's a, that, that's, that's not that space. And another way to think about it is I think it's really helpful to think of social media like a family photo book, right? Mm, yes. Okay, so if you go into someone's family, uh, someone's living room, they usually have a family photo book. Now, if you pick up that family photo book, it's probably just highlights, right? right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right, there's nothing wrong with having a book that represents your family's highlights. There's no one, you know, if grandma drunk or someone throwing up, like it's not in there. Right. Um, why? Because there's something about narratives too that I think we're narrative creatures. We like to remember certain narratives, and it's okay to have the highlights. Where that where the family photo book gets problematic or where we would make it problematic is what if actually because back to that first of all, you go in the house, you look at the family photo book, you learn the family, that's so cool, you look at it maybe in six months. Where the photo book would be really problematic is if you live in a home where you wake up and you pick up the photo book and you just read it every single day, and then five minutes later you go back to it. And then you, you bite something and f- go back to it. You eat something, you go back to it, you drink some coffee, you go back to it. Then you would start saying like oh yeah, that person is probably getting a really, really, really seriously distorted view of what they think that family's narrative is. Mm -hmm. But is the problem the family's narrative? No. The problem is they shouldn't be looking at a photo book seven hours a day. Right. Right? So So then then it's it's kind of
0: on the consumer side right there. It turns into this internal game of then like, Man, today sucks. Yes. I remember this day? Yeah, when you're like, we that were, was Disneyland. We were in, yeah, back in, exactly. in Maui. Yes. And we, we were on the beach 100%. and we took that picture. You yeah. Know? But and if, now I'm just sitting in my living room.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that, because I don't, that's a, I think it's a really helpful analogy because we do these weird one or the others. when well, that one kind of answers both, right? Of like, it's okay to share the highlights, but be honest. You're not manufacturing pictures. You're not just going to Disneyland for the picture. Right. You went to Disneyland, you took a picture. So that's fair. But then on the second one, it's like, yeah, we have to also really reckon with like, it's usually, not always, usually sometimes the, the person who's holding the phone, it's, it's 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 there. What it is? It's like we've been looking at the photo book too much. Yeah. So put it down and go do real life.
0: Right. So what's your recommendation for like families with kids and things that like mm. where the kids maybe just are always on their phone or maybe maybe that maybe the parents just didn't even realize. I I, I'm, I feel the worst for parents that like this happened too. Right? Yes. Like. After my generation, maybe another seven or eight years, like the kids that were, or is right in the middle still? Seven or eight. Yeah, we had not thought about it when, a ton yet. Like, they got the yeah. devices. Exactly. like yeah. Those parents just more like got, the like, guinea pig experiment. <laughs> yeah. So, no, so what do you recommend yeah. now for somebody that's like, okay, now that we got my bearings here, totally. what do I do with my family to make sure that my kids aren't like putting their entire self worth totally. in this little device?
1: Yeah, I think one thing that I talk about, I don't know if I talk about in the book, but it certainly relates to the book. But we have in our own family, as we call it, my last name is Bethke, so we call it the Bethke tech manifesto and it's kind of this fun little play but like we, be, we believe that as a family we need to have like a manifesto like that kind of spirit of like how we are going to engage with devices mm. technology and this current iteration and world we're in with social media and if we don't we lose you know what I mean and what I mean by that is like I don't think we've ever reckoned with the fact that this is the most concentrated power has ever been in all of human history right you, there's probably a hundred maybe only fifty men probably, maybe a few women in Silicon Valley that have the power and are 100% shaping all of what we believe in our culture for about 2 or 3 billion people in regards to technology, devices, and social media, that's a scary amount of bit disproportional power. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you could argue tobacco's been in that realm, maybe you could argue, argue fossil fuels and oil's been in that realm, but I don't think it's still that disproportionate. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: well, it's because it's combining tech and media. 100%.
1: Like, 100%. the other
0: big tech companies. Totally. the other big, you know, giant conglomerates totally. didn't also have the power to distribute content. Exactly, that's they a good way to get put get it, elsewhere. yes.
1: And so, that concentration of power on its face is already... Terrifying. Uh, two, those people have an agenda, and I don't mean like crazy evil. Like their businesses, they need to return money to their shareholders. It's very simple, right? And because of that, they're going to make a lot of decisions that allow that make us behave like we're the product, we're not the consumer, right? Humans in this world are the product in the social media realm. If you're not paying for something, you're the product, right? Not the thing you're using. Mm-hmm. Uh, your eyes are being sold, your data is being sold, your brain's being sold, your behavior's being sold. So. I think that's really important, because then what you realize is like, okay, they're not wrong for that, they are a business, they need to return profit to their shoulders, hopefully they do it ethically, sometimes they don't, Um, but they have an agenda, and they are going to 100% shape everything to fit that agenda, they're going to make things certain colors so we behave in a certain way, Mm -hmm. they're gonna make them refresh in a certain way, they're gonna make them look a certain way, they're gonna make them cost a certain way, they're gonna make you behave a certain, like everything, right, they spend billions of dollars to get us to behave a certain way. So the whole point of me is like, okay, if you don't have, if you don't have a competing force on that, you automatically lose, hmm. like you lose, right? You, you will be their agenda. You will do what they want, how they want, when they want it. Uh, in almost a robotic drone like state because yeah,
0: you're, if you're not purposeful and intentional resisting about not totally being that way totally you're just going to end up being
1: that yes way. and there's some parts of it where it's fine like okay let that fall through the cracks that's fine you know they want me to do that i'll do that mm-hmm. but are you being intentional with it mm-hmm. um and so yeah so then we have a family manifesto that's just like this is what we believe about technology and it's always it's malleable we're always changing it based on us and our kids ages and but yeah it's got rules in there like you know we don't bring phones in the bedroom uh you know i can't look at the phone for the first hour of the day we all, <clears throat> we only have one tv in the house and it has to hide when i'm in so I literally built a cabinet system where, like, it's on an elevator and just goes, and goes down. Mm -hmm. And so now when you walk in our home, you can't see any television. You don't even think, people don't even think we have a television. And it's those little things like that that, okay, we're not centering the TV, which means we turn it on less. Psychology supports that 100%. How you shape your space will also shape how you behave and how you act. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of that type of stuff really, really matters.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man. There's just so many pieces of the puzzle. Totally. Have to be aware of at least, Mm -hmm. you know, especially as a parent. Yeah, as as a responsible parent. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, uh, But uh, moving into like the business side of this, yeah, um, talk to me about content creation in general. Mm -hmm. So just to kind of shift gears, talk to me about, you know, you've done YouTube, you've done podcasting, you've written several books at this point. You do public speaking. If somebody's out there right now, and and we have a lot of entrepreneurs to listen to this to this show. If somebody's out there right now, and they're like, okay. I have this message and I have this brand and I have this business and I want to amplify that. And I know that's creating some form of content is probably the way to do that. How would you recommend they get started?
1: How how would you get started? I would say, you know, totally that 10,000 hour rule of like just get started. Like you will, you are meant to, it usually takes about a decade to hone a craft of some sort. And even me having a viral video earlier, I'm now about almost at that 10 year realm and I can feel just finally a decent level of like proficiency. It's funny. I've just noticed last year or two, like I still need to grow a ton, still yeah. need to work it to, but like, but like, I feel like I kind of fell in the pocket of like, yeah. okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before this, you know, think through this. I've gotten a little bit better. And it's just funny. It is like an eight to 10 year thing where that it takes that long.
0: It's crazy how many people I talk to now that, that say that, um, say that kind of stuff. My buddy Jordan Harbinger has a, a mm. podcast and gets like six million downloads a month. That's and a I was jet. talking to him the other day and I was just like asking him a few questions. Yeah. So just kind of just, I'm a podcaster, a yes. podcaster, trying to like, you know, what, what can I expect? Here, totally. You know? He said something, of ver- of a version yep. of the same thing, that like he feels like the last two or three years has really been where his explosion of growth has yes. been in not only his numbers, but in his skill set yes. and his network and the people he brings on his show yep. and stuff. And
1: we don't like that story, though. Right. It takes that's a while, not the sexy story. To, yeah, yeah. Hey, totally. hey take it to eight to ten years and kind of like yeah. do something that no one really notices and then maybe it'll pop. No one loves that. Right. Yeah, but exactly. there's a lot of truth to that.
0: And But you know what's ridiculous, though, is that we look at eight to ten years and we go, man, that's forever. Yes. But then like the alternative is what? Yeah, Go just, work 40 years for somebody else yes. and retire. Or like, or try security. to be
1: entrepreneurial but just bounce around every year or two because right. it's you, you want it to pop faster. Right. The other story yes. is way worse, like yes. markedly
0: worse yeah, than, totally. than like, just focusing totally. in and, and working on your craft for eight, yep. 10 years. But it just I guess it just sounds so difficult or something totally. that it just makes people not want to do it.
1: Well, here's, and, here, here's what I would say. Yeah, it, I agree. But also I think we need to get back to respecting the process. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. the process is is what matters. That like the process itself of, of going forward of, 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 like it's not about the end result, it's about what it's, what it's doing to us, the mm-hmm. process itself. So I think that's really important. So in terms of platform, if somebody's just starting out, which platform
0: would you say, like, hey, you should go all in on this platform first and then start redistributing content to other Good
1: platforms? question. I think pay attention to what you're good at, first of all, because I think it's different for each person. Like I'm, Some people are not as good on video, right? So then try to make me, you know, parlay into audio. Someone, some people are not good at, with their voice at all. Parlay into writing, you mm-hmm. know, blogs. And, of course, you should be distributing all across the board, but know which one you feel like is your breadwinner. Yeah. And then talking platform-specific um, I think, like, go where the eyeballs are. I think, you know, like, I'm a huge fan of TikTok right now um, because I think that's totally here. Here's my favorite phrase when anyone says, oh, that's just for teenagers, you should be on that immediately. Hmm right? Not for creepy, weird reasons. Um, (laughs) But like that, that is the phrase that totally dead give is a dead giveaway that this is the next big thing. It happened with uh, YouTube. Then it happened with Instagram. Then it happened with Snapchat. And now it's happening with TikTok, right? And that's exactly what people are saying. Oh, isn't that just a kid's app where they do fun, dumb stuff? Yes. And you should be there. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? And I love it. And that's where like a lot of the creativity and content and stuff like that. So be on all the platforms, but just the eyeballs, the attention—all when you hear that phrase, it's so cheap on those places, right? Yeah, that's you can the break big through thing. the noise so much more when you right. when you're in those spaces. Like literally, I know I have multiple friends, some with like zero platform, like that—they don't even care about the internet—and it's a couple hashtags. All of a sudden, got them hundred thousand views on TikTok. That's yeah. what, you can't do that on Instagram, you can't yeah. do that on YouTube, right? Because it's so uh, booming, mm-hmm. and the saturation hasn't happened yet. That it's just like kind of getting up there, getting early.
0: Yeah, that's insane. So. Um, in terms of what's driven the most in your business, mm. what what Good would question. you say has been like the biggest driver? Like, is it a yeah. is it a book? Probably. Is it... Yeah, I'd say probably books or
1: YouTube. Yeah, okay. that's probably what I would say compared to either social media in general, Instagram, Facebook, podcasts, stuff like that. You have to know your own circle. You have to know your own funnel, okay. right? And so that's what I, kind of back to that strength weakness thing. For me, I started on YouTube and I noticed. Uh, You kind of have to name and claim each platform, right? So for me, I almost consider YouTube my billboard. Mm and that's a weird way to put it, but YouTube YouTube is, in my opinion, for my stuff, because I make a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. podcasts, books, et cetera. YouTube is the the billboard, the first thing they might go on. Who's who's that? What's going on there? Who's that guy, right, on the side of the freeway? Um, Usually that's YouTube for me, and it's not always YouTube for everyone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's social media. Um, You know, the other ones, sometimes it's book writing. But I think you have to know what that is, and YouTube is that for me, And then book writing is just a really, really special way to take people really deep that none of the other platforms I do can. Mm -hmm. So those two combined, I would say, certainly have kind of helped... get it all where it is today. Do you find your books are mostly bought from warm audience
0: or do you find that like the book puts you in front of audiences? That's a really good
1: question. I have no data to support that, so that would be a subjective answer, but I, if I had to guess, I would almost say a little bit of both. What you really need for a book to be successful is the core audience to take it strong and almost be like your super fans to go tell people about it, mm-hmm. but a good book, in my opinion, is one of the most frontline grenade-like things you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I almost see books as like grenades. Like They're big ideas. They take a lot of time, way more than podcasts and YouTube and stuff like that. So take a lot of time on it and then kind of throw that grenade out in culture. Right? Yeah. Title it something that hopefully will start the conversation and get it going. And then, in that case, it's not a warm audience at all, but it's a, like a welcoming audience. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I think that's different.
0: Yeah. Which of your books has m- not necessarily been your favorite or whatever, but has, like, meant the most to you in terms of the content in the book itself? Nothing to do yes. with
1: sales, audience? Totally. 100%, like what meant 100% this to one, you. then, for okay. sure. Uh, and I think there's just some books that take on a personal nature more than the others. I love all my books. I think four now and six or seven self-published ones. But out of the traditional published ones, four of them now, definitely this one. I think... There's something about this one that just felt like this message got into my bones and it just got so deep in me that it felt like it just, it was the easiest book to write, but also the hardest. Meaning I feel like it was the densest, deepest, kind of weirdest. Like I just kind of make crazy connections and go all over, but it was the easiest because it really felt like it was in there. And so that feels really personal and really cool that like I had to have this whole journey and transformation first before I could talk about it, but definitely this one.
0: So for somebody listening, who's like, man, I've, I've been wanting to write a book for a long time or I I really want to write a book right now. Would you re- What what would you recommend in terms of traditional publishing versus self-publishing and all that kind of stuff? I do
1: both, and I like I recommend both. I think sometimes we say, here's the way I think about it. So like To Hell with the Hustle uh, is a very big idea book, meaning mm-hmm. like I I spent years on that book. I'm trying to really distill a really strong concept, a really strong idea. So I like to argue if you want to write about a really big idea, I think it should go traditional publish. Okay. If you want to offer people a tool or a resource, then that tends to be self-published. That's how I tend to think about it. So we it. got like a TED Talk book. Yeah, like that's yep. Or like I like much. so like so like half of my self published books have like a bunch of space to write in. Does it make sense? Like yeah, it's a like tool. They're like it's a workbook. Like, yes, yeah, like yeah. they almost were either workbooky or just like a daily thing. Or like they feel very practical, tactical tool. When I think kind of a uh, which hopefully a traditional public book book should too but uh, a lot more time and a lot more distilling of ideas I think belongs there yeah got it
0: so what's next man like what, what's the big things like that you got working on Good where do question. you see yourself five ten years
1: from now ooh that I mean it's so that question's so hard not because it's hard to dream but it's hard to be like man if I count exactly five years back there's no shot I would have felt like I was right here <laughs> right Yeah, right, so I, you know it's like it's kind of throwing it to the wind but um, where do I see myself so one of our main one of my main full-time jobs is I also run an entire initiative called Family Teams uh, which is basically like a online platform that has courses and books and live events and it's just like its own little brand to kind of just equip families for f- health and flourishing and sustainability and it's almost to hell with the hustle like burning out and overwhelmed but for families instead of individuals okay. um, and giving people resources for that and that's really where there's a lot that's just resonating like crazy that's growing like crazy more than a lot of stuff I've ever done so I think I'll see myself just keeping doubling down there okay. um, I really enjoy it the most Um, And again, it's just part of what I do. It's not only, but uh, spending a lot more time there, growing that, seeing that get more successful, hopefully. Um, And yeah, continuing to write. um, And then from a life perspective, yeah, just hopefully in a really fun stage then in five or 10 years with the kids, more kids, I'm hoping by then, uh, married, still in Maui, hopefully. That'd be awesome. Awesome.
0: So this is the Build Your Network podcast. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about networking, relationships, connections. Um, and this is something that it's it's funny now. Uh, I have conversations with people. I always notice it sprinkled throughout the whole conversation. Yeah. Um, so even at the very beginning when we first started, oh. I was yeah. going to bring it up then, but I wanted yeah. to wait till the end. Um, and you said you said something about how uh, the the biggest thing that helped you with the business side totally. of your just asking people, your, you yeah, know, it was just like this guy gave yes. you this, and this totally. other person offered this, and this. You know, you got around these other people that were doing yes. really well in these things and you started learning from them and then implementing, right? Yeah. So um, just along those lines, this is the question that I ask everybody um, to get the conversation rolling in this direction. So Jeff, do you believe that who you know or what you know is more important and why?
1: Ooh, I, would say, I would say who you know because it gives you what you know. Does okay. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, I 100% believe I am 100% a product of... Like literally, I, you can't conceptualize yourself without even the people that have impacted you or been around you. Right. And I even include that, by the way, too, to like books and stuff like that, people that have poured themselves out but you might not never meet, right. but you know their knowledge. Yeah, like, that's that's a, to, for me to think about all, because I love reading, try to read somewhere around 100 books a year, I didn't get to it this year, did it last year, but you start thinking, like, people you actually know, but then even, like, people that more are giving you that, you're not knowing them, but it's the same kind of thing of, like, learning from other people, mm-hmm. like, you, you can, I can't even conceptualize what I'd be without all that stuff that's just blessed me over and over and over and over and over again, and then, yeah, going more personal to people that I do know really strongly, yeah, I'm so a product, man, of just people that have poured into me and helped me and encouraged me, and that's actually, they say that, don't they, don't they, they say you're, like, you're basically just your five friends? Yeah, yeah. The average Some of, of the five people. Of, yeah, 100% believe that. And then I think that that then that that gives you what you know, which is important. Right. I don't, you know, like I think that's actually step one, step two. Um, and so that's what I would totally. say for sure. Yeah, I
0: I mainly agree with everything that you yeah. just said. That, that that's the biggest thing for me is that I find that if you spend a lot of time with the who, the what will increase in direct proportion totally. to the who that you bring around you. Totally. Whereas I don't really see the opposite being as true. Exactly. Like if you work so much on your what it's not necessarily going to exponentially increase the who, right? Yes. It, it might increase the who because yes. if you get really good at what you do, you're going to get attention from people, right? Totally. But it doesn't necessarily exponentially increase. Whereas if you go spend time with people who are two, three, four levels above yeah. you in whatever you're trying to accomplish, even if it's something silly like, hey, I just want to work on my golf game this year, yes. right? If you go golfing once a week with people who are worse than you, or you go golfing once a week, people who are are better than you. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the year, which person's going to be better? Yes, exactly. The person that won't the people better because you're just going to learn things by being around them, by hanging out, by being a part of conversations. Totally. Like just being a fly on the wall and being like, oh, that's the level of conversation that these people are having is what enables you to start not only changing your actions, but changing your mindset to like do what, you know, what you used to think was impossible. Totally. And
1: one thing I would add to that too is Like, serve the people you're around. I think sometimes where that gets a little weird is when people kind of want to enter into these spaces with people that they really look up to and like. But then it's kind of just this take, 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 take mentality. yeah. Yeah. when it's like, no, no, you know, just, I don't, you'll, it's counterintuitive to the West. It's counterintuitive to, like, current culture. But, like, I fully believe if you pour yourself out, if you serve other people, it actually, like, you'll be fine. 100%. You know, we say that that you know in our culture the lie is that like if you do that you'll get taken advantage of, you'll lose some things, you'll you won't you know you need to watch out for yours or kind of whatever kind of elbow in places. Yeah, I totally believe if you just serve, offer people value 100%. is kind of the phrase they're using on the internet now. But I think that's just really a phrase for like serving people and loving people well. It just it takes care of itself. Yeah, one of my favorite books on that is Give and Take by Adam Grant. If yeah, you, if you he's have, amazing. I yeah, love him. If,
0: if you have not read yeah. it, listen to this right He's now. like one of my
1: favorite people. Books, podcasts, yeah. all
0: his stuff is brilliant. You gotta check that book yeah. out because it is. It goes into exactly what we're just talking yes. about. He basically breaks down that there's givers, takers, and matchers. Yes, Givers, obviously, yeah. you know who they people are, takers, give. same. Matchers are people who give only when they know they're going to get an yes. equal amount of value yeah, back. back yeah so they break down and do a ton of studies and you know adam he's yeah a, you know fantastic he always author, to the crazy professor. dots with the studies yeah, and, yeah he's yeah. got stats on stats yep. on stats and he puts it together basically this whole study yes. that said they followed around givers takers and matchers and like put them on the success ladder like where yes. do you end up
1: and the givers are always at the top the
0: givers it's are at crazy. the top the givers are also at the bottom yes so what's interesting <laughs> is like Figuring out, so he goes into that book like, yes. okay, if you're a giver, you you will end up at the top yeah. if you put a couple of these like different caveats into the yes. way that you, you do. You
1: still need to be smart, right. Wise, so totally, I love and that. And
0: changing up, and one of the big things that was that was really interesting for me to read uh, because I, I think I'm naturally more of a matcher, yeah. Um, and after reading that book and then having a show on networking and totally. relationships, I've trained myself to become a giver yes. and just give without expectation, yes. right? So one of the things that I had uh, trouble wrapping my mind around was like, okay, well, how do I make sure I'm not one of the givers that ends up at the bottom? Because people take yes. advantage of me all the time. Yep. And one of the big things was he said, don't feel bad about changing up your reciprocity style mm. with a taker. Yes. So if you like interact with somebody and you realize that they're just like taking, 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 yeah. you can't just continue to give to that give person. Yes. You have to like yes. switch the to a matcher. Yes. So it's it's funny. I've seen it play out in my life now several times where people have been like, take, take, take. And I offer a ton of value. and I'm trying to build a relationship. Yeah. There's never any reciprocity. Yes. And they're just a taker. And then eventually, like the next time they ask me for something, I cut it off. And I'm just like, sorry, like, I, you know, I'm too busy. or I can't do that right yes. now. And then I they just that. kind of go do their own thing. And yeah. it's just like, okay, well, like uh, I, I had to switch it at yes. this point. But I had to be helps, okay with it that. It kind of helps reveal true colors. Totally.
1: And it helps also cut off the cycle that's not helpful. I love yeah, that.
0: 100%. Um, so real quick, we're coming up to the end here. Um, tell me a story, something that we haven't talked about yet, a, a quick story about maybe a time in your life where uh, a relationship with somebody led to a big moment of you know success or mm-hmm. clarity or fulfillment. Something that you feel like you can directly attribute to a relationship that you had in your life.
1: It kind of goes back to what I alluded to earlier of with people bringing surrounding people around, you know, even like, and it, and it gets all the way down to the books, like I don't think I would have a book deal, I don't think I'd be doing a lot of this stuff if it wasn't for a couple men and different reasons, but I specifically now I'm thinking of the book. Um, there was almost like this fatherly-like grandfather. Here's what I have. so, so there, I had a mentor in my life, right? And one of his really good friends he was in his wedding uh, 40 years ago or whatever uh, is a really high-powered uh, literary agent mm-hmm. and so when everything went viral you know he basically said hey I like I just think you should talk to my friend you know and he can help you out and that connection literally led to almost like the entire like success and business side of just being more than a guy with three videos mm-hmm. you know and through that literally led to my first book deal which did pretty decent and then that led to the next one and all that type of stuff so um, it's crazy when you can trace the dots that, what's the word, obvious? Yeah. You know what I mean, like that one relationship. And it wasn't, and back to even with the give and taking, I wasn't trying to take anything from him. He was just more like a father figure in my life. Um, and he just, and, and so then when it happened, he didn't just reach out for help. So we were already in relationship. So that shows you, too, by the way, be in relationship r- when you don't need something. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Take we, we, we sometimes wouldn't want to be yeah. in that relationship until we need something. Right. I was like, no, it's just like it was more of a real relationship with no business, no nothing. And then something happened, he goes, oh, and I didn't even know he knew this guy, you know? He's like, oh, I know this guy. Not even know this guy. He's like a really good friend. So yeah. then it led to a meeting that led to everything else. So it's crazy. Yeah, that's the biggest thing you
0: hit the nail right on the head was saying, like, it's a real relationship. Yes. So people have a tendency to segment their relationship. Building yes. and they're like networking with business people is in this yes. box over and it's like, here. No,
1: networking is your life. Friendships is over here. Yes. You know what I mean? It's
0: like no, it's yeah, all the it's same. It's all the same. I love yeah, that.
1: Totally I love that.
0: Well, look, man, I know we could keep talking forever and ever if I don't cut this off. No, so I'm let's game. go ahead and move on to the last segment here. Something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions. Oh, quick, I love this style. Let's answers. do it. Let's do it. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt?
1: Oh, I. I mean, I would be if it doesn't matter if you'd be horrid at it. I would love to do like music.
0: Perfect. Yes. Yeah. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be and why?
1: Oh, that was, uh, f- 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 um, oh man, it's like, what genre do I go with? Um, I'm going, my brain's going all over. I mean, someone like Malcolm Gladwell or something like that would be fun. Mm. Yeah.
0: How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts? Books, maybe?
1: books, books, books.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. what's, what's a book that's kind of overarching, entrepreneurial that you would recommend to the audience? Culture
1: Code, love that book. It's actually my favorite parenting book, but it's not a parenting book at all. It's an entrepreneurial leadership biz, you know business book, How Do You Create Culture? Um, but it has probably been my favorite parenting book. Give
0: us a glimpse of your morning routine.
1: Morning routine, wake up at four usually, which, by the way, caveat, I go to bed at eight, So because I'm not this hustle grinder. I, I get eight <laughs> hours of sleep. Um, I just wake, the, I wake up that early because it's my best content creation. I write the best when I do that. Um, it was one of those things that started at six, then I backed it up to five, backed it up to four because of how much I was loving it. Right, right. Um, And I've been doing that for a couple years now where it's just like I write better, I think better, I read, I don't turn on my phone. I just It's so quiet. It's so amazing before everything else gets going. But you got to go to bed pretty early to do that and especially with kids. But yeah, that's really what it is. It's just waking up early and if it's a book season I write, so it's more of a if it's, a if it's a crazy season it's an output if it's a chill season it's an input meaning like I'll just kind of read and hang mm. out and think and then that's it and then 6 o'clock I'm usually I probably will do that until about 7 uh, and then me and Alyssa will kind of talk my wife talk for a few minutes catch up on the day and then our kids get going and breakfast at 8
0: what is your go-to pump-up song?
1: this is not it at all but it's stuck in my head because I just watched a parody of it but it's like what is that the, that girl one where it's like fight song like this is oh yeah fight. that so, is actually totally pretty solid my buddy man. Trey Kennedy he's hilarious he has millions of followers on Instagram he does like comedy bits and he just did this hilarious parody called this is my fall song and he's pretending to be like a white girl uh, like the, uh, representing fall pumpkin spice latte and all that stuff so people <laughs> need to go watch that but that's, but it pumped me up I was like that's awesome what is
0: something putting business aside yeah. authorship like all this stuff like putting all this stuff aside what's something just interesting General in life that you're just like not very good at at all.
1: Not very good at. Um, not very good at managing people. That's a, yeah. So I try to stay away from that when I can. I really? try to, yeah, try to be very solopreneur. Try to okay. be or be in partnership with people that are really good at yeah. that. So because we do yeah. have organizations and things that we got staff and employees and all that. But uh, yeah, want to grow at it, but then also have systems in place right now where it's I need to get better first. You yeah, know? yeah.
0: So as we wrap everything up here, Jeff, what's one place online where we're gonna be able to find you the most?
1: Uh, anywhere and everywhere. You can just search Jefferson Bethke. It's the handle on all the stuff. Or uh, com is our website. And then yeah, all the books are on anywhere books are sold.
0: Sweet. So jefferson bethke Uh, just give it a quick search and you will uh, be busy for hours and hours with (laughs) all all the content and stuff that's out there Um, and then definitely go pick up a copy of his new book to hell with the hustle um, I can guarantee you, especially if you're listening to this podcast, that you need to hear <laughs> what he has to say um, in this book. So, uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show today, my man. I had a fantastic time with you. Dude,
1: it. Thanks, man. That was
0: awesome. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button, and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.